Well, during this series, we have not shown the sermon bumper that Daniel Hicks produced. Any of y'all remember that? We showed it in service one day to preview it. We posted it on social media. Do y'all recall? Brilliant work. Apparently, I laughed at it harder than a lot of y'all. But it was our president debating uh, the wannabe president former vice president you remember and it was just kindness they just we did voiceovers it was great actual footage from the first debacle debate and then there was uh, just kind words but isn't it isn't it sad that it's funny when we're nice to each other socially culturally and politically hence this series and i'm glad you're here on what we've deemed it election eve eve and so how, how about those hymns, right? We've got a couple of more that we're going to sing. And so when your anxiety goes high in a couple of days, when your blood pressure boils, when you're unsure about things, when you look at someone's post and you're close to deleting them, just remember those hymns to calm you, the truths of those words. Hey, a couple of things. First of all, turn to John today. If you brought a Bible, it'd be a good day to turn in your Bible. We're going to look at one key passage and take three points from it. I went to seminary. They trained me how to do that. Paid a lot of money to get trained how to make three points from a passage. But we will do that. I hadn't done that a lot. That'll probably be refreshing for you guys because week one of this series, how to talk about politics without being obnoxious, we busted eight myths. And then last, last week, we looked at seven invitations. I refer to them as divine invitations inspired by Hebrews. Remember our passage to strive for peace with everyone. And we looked at the language, let us, let us. And I issued these divine invitations with that same language of the book of Hebrews, let us. It issued those seven things. Today, we'll, uh, I want to leave you with three really important ideas from the Gospel of John. We'll focus on one passage, and I'll have you flip, if your Bible is open, to a couple of other passages as you see a theme, a theme that I think is super important uh, for us. Government is two things, I think. You've heard me kind of weave this in or refer to it, or maybe I'm adding some additional content in this moment now, but government is frustrating. If you disagree, look at me. If you disagree, go get your driver's license. All right, and I'll wait. Actually, I won't wait. Government is frustrating because government involves humans and humans are fallible. Can I get an amen? Let's just acknowledge that. Some of you, man, deep layers of cynicism are layering itself around your heart as you get older and you're like 22. Like, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to know you at 42 and then when you get my age, but like all this sense of, look, every institution, right, is frustrating because it involves humans and humans are fallible. But let's acknowledge it. Government is frustrating. But point number two quickly that I'm saying or have said is that government, though frustrating, is from God. The Bible, in the Bible, three institutions are ordained established by God. We've talked about this. Uh, Week one, I tested you to see if you could just readily name them, but government, family, and the church. And government serves us best. I think this is the idea biblically. And we, we taught in week one that according to the Bible, that government serves a few chief purposes to protect uh, the innocent, to, um, to beat back the onslaught of evil and to demonstrate justice throughout the world. So to protect the innocent, to push back the onslaught of evil, and to demonstrate justice is the role of government. And government, though frustrating, it is from God. It's instituted by God, full of fallible people. 
But it serves us best when it doesn't act alone. Some of us are so amped up. Maybe I've beaten this horse to death. Maybe I should stop. But some of us are so amped up because we think it's the institution. We think it's the primary thing. We think this is the election. We think we have to get this right or it's over. And government is one. Look, I'm just asking you for some perspective biblically for some balance. You do what you do. You think how you think. You vote how you vote. But I just want to give you some perspective in this for some balance. Government, family, and church. I said it in one of these weeks. If some of y'all would share your faith like you share your political views, we'd be a better church and a better community, a better world. I believe it. But government is one institution and government functions best. That's why I'm thankful for our country and I'm thankful for our constitution. I'm thankful for our bill of rights. I'm thankful for this because I think some of the principles emanate from the scripture and the idea in scripture is that government has its place but government is limited and government should listen to me serve the other institutions well and one institution lacking the other two can't overcompensate for its deficiency we need all three institutions no surprise my my focus is church and family family and church government Politics, it's, it's been important to me, but it's only important to me because politics involves people and ultimately people matter to God. That's some good theology right there. Now, a couple of things. This will be the controversial part of the sermon. I don't know why I'm doing this with, you know, we're depleted by COVID and now we're walking into some controversial stuff. I want you to understand the difference between two things that's really important, between patriotism and nationalism. If I ask you if you were patriotic, I think most, if not all, hands would go up at the 9.30 service. 11 o'clock, probably not. we got some pagans in that, in that group. But to be patri- patriotic, listen, I want to tell you, I'm, I believe in patriotism. I was living in San Diego right after 9-11. I had not cried. It was about a week after the terrorists had killed thousands of our people, and we were mourning as a nation. And I had not wept. I'm an emotional guy. I wear my feelings on my sleeves. Y'all know that. But I, we had a new baby, and I was just holding things in, trying to keep things together. And I was driving by Miramar, where they filmed Top Gun. And I was riding in a Jeep, and F-15s flew over. And I was listening to uh, that uh, hero song by, what's his name, uh, Julio Iglesias' son. And I just had, I shouldn't tell, I'm telling on myself, but I just got chills all up and down me, man. I literally had to pull over. It was just like, I'm patriotic, you know, I, I'm patriotic, and it, it can be a good thing. We need to be honest about our nation, but patriotism is a good thing. Nationalism is when it gets dangerous, okay? It's when it gets dangerous. Now, here's where I might get in trouble. A little over a year ago, when Woodland Hills handed the keys over to Fondren Church exclusively for this to be our building, of course, a building, thank God for our leaders, we want to make sure that we share, uh, whether it's a gym with Fondren Fitness, helping people socially distance in this COVID season, or our parking lot with different people, our spaces, we want to share. We don't see it as ours, ours in a greedy way, but we own it, and we have to operate it, and with that comes great responsibility with that authority. But one of the first things that I did, I didn't ask anybody. I didn't go to our elders. I didn't consult my wife. I just walked in here, and I took away the American flag. There was an American flag that was right here on the stage, and I didn't want it in here. I didn't think it should be in here. Y'all mad yet? Now, I'm patriotic. I pulled my car over after 9-11 when I saw American fighter jets. Like, I got emotional. I love our country. I think this is the greatest country. When I go visit a POW who's a homebound member of our church, I talk about him a lot. Hello, Mr. Earl, we love you. Man, 
he and I agree, this is a great country. This is, I believe, the greatest country with tons of flaws. But nationalism is when we, we equate it with our Christianity. And so hear me. I love the flag, and I love if you love the flag. I also think that there's freedom in our country to talk about the flag and discuss the flag and to discuss symbolism without being obnoxious. But in nationalism is when we say we worship the American dream. And so let me be clear. You can come in with a flag. We're not going to ask you to leave. I've got a flag in my office. I've got a flag at home, but I don't want a flag to be a symbol of our worship. Jesus didn't say go into all the world, baptize and teach them to command all that and make Americans of all people. He said to make disciples. John at the island of Patmos at the end of Revelation. Some of y'all want me to preach on Revelation soon. John says that at the throne, it will be every tongue, tribe, and nation. In fact, in the Bible, there is a, a, a word for God, many, many names for God. Here's one of them. Let's say it together out loud. Jehovah Nissi. You want to say that with me? Jehovah Nissi or Yahweh Nissi. And it literally means the Lord is our banner. Translation for us, the Lord is our flag. We serve him only. Ultimately, there are many nations and there are some great nations. And one of the things I love about our nations, in spite of our flaws and that we have struggled to have liberty and justice for all people, but we have liberated some people in places. We have sacrificed lives and given greatly. Listen, there are many nations, but ultimately there's going to be a throne around a king and the Lord is our flag. The Lord is our banner. And every time a nation gets close to nationalism with God, when it becomes tribal, it never goes well. And as Americans, we need to be careful in that regard. You guys get that? Am I in trouble with some of you? All right. So, a couple of things about this. Nations flex their muscles. Think about Kim Jong-un. He makes me proud to be an American. But routinely, regularly, we see images of him. He loves this stuff. We see images of him. What's he doing? He's testing intercontinental mystic, ballistic missiles. Intercontinental, that means maybe they could come over here. And they always show Kim Jong-un, like he's checking things out with his binoculars. Don't you want to just slap those binoculars out of his hand? He's flexing his muscle. Whether it's Kim Jong-un in North Korea or Vladimir Putin riding shirtless on a horse. Look at our own country. Look at how we flex military might. We have Air Force One and Marine One. We call our president, whoever it is, whoever it has been or will be, we call him the commander-in-chief. And he will go many times to places where our troops are and, and offer surprise visit to troops serving us in tough places. And we flex and we have to know the difference between patriotism and nationalism. And it's, it's really important. Psalm 20, write that down if you will. Psalm 20, don't trust in horses. Don't trust in chariots. Here's what it says. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, our God, Jehovah Nissi, Yahweh Nissi. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is our flag. Go and make Americans. No, go and make tribes. No, go and make disciples of all nations. A couple of things about this series before we jump into John and get you out on time. 
There's two things that I'm trying to do in this series. I'm not telling you who to vote for. Have you noticed that? Isn't it funny, the guy who's, because I thought about this deeper, like I am telling you how to live. You ever notice that when you come to church, if I'm preaching or whoever's preaching, like we're up here telling you how to live. Hopefully not on our own authority, but we're telling you how to live. And so isn't it funny that the guy who's telling you how to live is not telling you how to vote? That's not what this series is about. And adding to that, I'm not even telling you how I'm voting. And I know some of you have been reading into it. I thought about some subtle hints during this series, right? First Thessalonians 4.16, I could be up here and I could say, I could put it on the screen and say, the trumpet of God from First Thessalonians 4. Or we could open up to John 15 and we could say, abide in me and let my words abide in you, right? And then I could like, that would be a hint for, oh, he's voting for, oh, he's, first, first Thessalonians 4, John 15. But we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Isaiah chapter 2. In the midst of toxic times, deep division, and troubled hearts, consider what this prophet... Y'all know I love Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Here's where we're going. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their sores into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations, don't you long for this day, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. We have a view of our world today, very popular. The younger you are, likely the more popular it is. Here's the view of the world. Well, there's, there's my way and then there's your way, but who am I to tell you to live your way my way? And we think that's the way, but stay with me. You can take it or leave it, but the biblical writers had a different view of reality. They actually taught, they wrote poetically, as you see, in the midst of things not being the way they should. How many of you think things are not the way they should? How many of you are crying out in your home, in your hearts, when you look at the world, when you read the headlines, when you fear and dread about Tuesday and what follows? You understand they're boarding up buildings in every major U.S. city. It has nothing to do with a storm. It has everything to do with our reaction to an election. Are you with me? Things are not the way they should be. Well, you got your way and I got my way and who am I to tell you about my way? But the biblical writer said there is a way and they were not afraid beautifully and poetically and repeatedly to tell us that there is a way. And the word there for peace is this beautiful Hebrew word, shalom. Take a picture of it. Think about it today. Ask God to let it be prevalent in you. There is a way that the world should be. Don't you know that that's in your heart? Deep in your heart, no matter what you articulate, there's a desire for the way things should be. You ever think about that? With shalom, with peace, with it being pervasive, you know what? Every marriage would be strong. I got a text this week from a dear friend and staff member. RG, people are hurting. People are struggling. Funny, she sent that to me when someone just left my office in deep pain. Like the kind of pain you call, on, you call them a few times to check on them. That kind of pain. But in a world of shalom, things aren't the way they should be. Things are not the way they should be. And you and I, we ache for the way that they should be. 
But don't put your trust in horses or chariots. Put it in the name of the Lord our God. Shalom. In a, in a, in a, in a shalom world, every marriage would be strong. Every child would be secure, protected, and cared for. They would feel the love. In a world of shalom, and the workplaces would be different. In workplaces, colleagues would actually celebrate the promotion of other colleagues. There would be celebration. Tabloids wouldn't say a word about celebrities. It, they would exclusively give reading and photos of stories of moral beauty and courage, of common people looking after common people. In an ideal world, but there's so much pain. There's so much in us that aches for this shalom. Things are not the way they should be. And you ought to be able to lament that. You should be able to express that. Don't be proud if you hold everything in. How many of you hold everything in? If you do, okay, that's good for self-awareness. But move away from that and express that reality that things are not the way they should be. And there is this ache in us there's an ache for in us but too many marriages that begin on beautiful days in front of a crowd of onlookers with vows given looking in staringly into each other's eyes end with a pen a cheap pen bought in bulk at walmart with a name signed the business venture that you declared will never sink is taken on water the child or children that you raised, Proverbs 22, that you trained in the way of the Lord. You trained up that child in the way of the Lord. But Luke 15, the prodigal story, is the story of that child or those children now sleepwalking in a distant, faraway country, far from you and far from the Lord. And there is this ache as we realize life isn't the way it should be. At least a few times a year, I sit down with a man my age and we sit there and we talk about the bumps and bruises and we realize that our lives, both of our lives, that we thought had a, this sturdy foundation, if we live it on our own, it's more like a flimsy house of cards. And there's this ache and this sense that there's a lack of peace. Isaiah 2 gives us that. Swords will be turned to plowshares. Spears into pruning hooks. Those words have been inscribed on buildings around the world. We long for that. Okay, John 14, we'll be brief. It's taken us a while to get there. John 14, if you have an open Bible, look at it. John 14, 27. No way a lot of you 930 folks haven't heard this. Jesus, in the final days, peace, there it is, shalom. Jesus taught peace. He lived peace. He wanted people to know peace. Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's leave that up for a moment. That's our verse today. And I want to give you three things from this passage. Three things from this passage about peace that Jesus teaches. First is this, it's given by him. The second thing, it's different from the world. The third thing, it won't exist with fear. 
Three things from this passage. It's given by him. It's different than the world. It won't exist with fear. So consider the peace that he gives. Let me ask you, have you received that peace? Let me preach the gospel real quick. Romans 1.5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Had you received that peace? It's in receiving a gift. I give you my peace. Jesus is saying you're not going to earn it. So often as I present the gospel, some of you heard me say this, it's not about achieving, it's about receiving. Have you received the peace that he gives? I have found that in my own life, the peace that God gives is justification. I have, in Jesus, been justified. Am I a sinful man? You bet. But I have been saved. I have been justified. I have received this peace. It's a part of my life. I have peace with God. No more enmity. No more striving. But I will say, just as I've been justified, I need to be sanctified. Ask my wife. She'll be here at 11 o'clock. I need to be sanctified. And here's how I'm sanctified. Jesus taught several things, but he talked about surrender. He talked about study. Write those two words down. You want peace? Here's what I'm saying to you. Surrender. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Do you pray that prayer? Would you pray that prayer on Tuesday and thereafter? Not my will, but your will be done. I want to surrender my life. When you're trying to hold on to things, when you're putting your trust in horses and chariots, you will lack peace. But a life that is surrendered... A life that says, okay, God, whatever today. Imagine having that. Imagine a life surrendered. Imagine you were going to bed tonight and you were excited about tomorrow, no matter what. Imagine that your imagination was filled with thoughts about tomorrow. You would celebrate the victories that you have. And the failures, you would learn from those failures. And you would look out for the good of other people. And whatever bad happened to you on that day, you know that he could redeem it. Friends, that's a surrendered life. But it comes through study. Surrender, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Study is when you fill your thoughts, your mind with thoughts of God. Would you do that? So few do. I told you last week, it bears repeating today. I've got you for an hour on Sunday. My goal is to keep you awake for about 35 minutes. But I don't know if I accomplished that very well. I don't know if you're listening, but listen, it won't work. 35 minutes on a Sunday won't get you what you need. It's helpful. But it won't get you what you need. Do you study beyond surrendering? Do you fill your mind with great thoughts? Time and time again, when I see you fretting, time and time again, when I know that I am fretting, my mind is being filled with those things. We all meditate. Worry is negative meditation. Fill your mind with great thoughts of God. Three things about peace this morning. It's given by him. Secondly, it's different than the world it's different jesus is saying in his time listen in in politics some of us don't appreciate this don't know this but jesus came into a world that was social it was cultural and it was political and here's the phrase at the time when jesus was born when jesus taught and lived when jesus died when jesus rose from the dead it's this word right here this phrase pax romano 
and it means the peace of Rome. This is what Jesus was born into. And it sounds so lovely, doesn't it? But the peace of Rome was an imposed peace. It was a peace that only a few got to experience. There was a system of hierarchy, and there was a spear, and there was a sword, and there was horses and chariots, and not all benefited from this peace. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a peace. It's given by him, and it's different than the world. I'm giving you a peace that's very different than the world. So here's a verse I want to drop. This is worth the price of admission today. This is worth you guys waking up at home, sitting on the sofa and watching. It's this passage in Psalm. Take, take, a, take a look at this. Psalm 146 and verse 3. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. Now, what part of that verse might not be clear? At every turn, at every turn, we'll be disappointed if this is what we're doing. If we're putting our hope in powerful people. Some of us are surprised when we learn that some people that seem to care for the powerless are themselves so powerful. And we learn about their homes and their yachts and their way of living. We think, hmm, okay, Every time, we'll be disappointed if we live this way. If our trust is in horses and chariots. If we serve people who ultimately serve with the sword and with the spear. The third thing about peace that Jesus teaches us in John 14, 27, it's given by him. It's different than the world. And hear me this morning. It won't exist with fear. What's your fear today? What's your fear if this president gets four more years? What's your fear if he doesn't? What's your fear about this candidate or this nation? What's your fear if our country is moving, is tilting in one direction or the other? What's your fear? Where's your trust? What are you afraid of, just generally speaking? How about this? How many of you are afraid of this? Spider. I learned this interesting fact this week. There's a place in London. It's at the London Zoo. You can overcome arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, by cuddling them. Cuddling spiders. Do you ever think those two words would exist together? The Friendly Spider Program is a four-hour session. Look, look, you know they're British. They can't even spell program. It's a four-hour session designed to help those who fear, whose fear of spiders significantly impacts their lives. What's the idea? You've heard it. Face it. Afraid of something? Face it. Face it. There's not a more common, I say it all the time, best-selling book of all time. There's not a more common command in the Bible. 365. How many days a year are there? 365 days a year. 365 days a year. 365 times in this book. It tells you not to be afraid. And story after story. And by the way, I don't even know if God's in it. If, you, if your adrenaline isn't pumping, if you're not a little nervous, somebody asked me the other day, are you nervous before sermons? I am. I am. I am. Something would be wrong if I'm not. But go into that fear. Walk into that. Go toward it. And that's the story. We grow up learning ready, set, go. God says ready, go, set, and you go into it because you're, ne- look at me, you're never ready. You're never ready. Esther goes to the king 
She was scared spitless. And she did what I encourage you to do if you're afraid. I teach my kids this. What's the worst thing that can happen? Hey, son. Hey, sweetie, come here. What's the worst thing? Can happen? You, may, you may want to consider that. What's the worst thing that can happen? I'm more of an artist than a business guy. But look, I've learned a little cost-benefit analysis. Pretty good stuff. What's the worst thing that can happen? And Esther, before she went to the king, she was ready. She prepared her heart. She walked into her fear and she said this beautiful line, one of the most beautiful in all the scripture, if I perish, I perish. She cuddled the spider. She said, I'm going into it. And peace will never exist in your heart if fear runs free. It will never exist in your heart if fear runs rapid in your life. So where do we go? What do we do here? What's our future? I want to be fast as we round toward home. I want to give you five concepts super fast. I know you're afraid when I say five. I'm going to be really fast. Put these words up if we will. Ecosystem, social stampedes, three degrees of influence, thermometer and thermostats, a book called Being Mortal. Real quick, there are ecosystems. They're physical ecosystems. We're learning it today. We're distant from each other. We're wearing masks and we're very mindful that illness and virus spreads. And we learned that some of us were unaware, some of the young people unaware how connected we are as people. Wuhan, where's Wuhan? Why are some people talking about Wuhan? Is that political or is it scientific? Why do people see this differently? But here's what we're all learning, that people are more connected to people than we thought because they're ecosystems. And just as they're physical ecosystems, and here's the idea behind a physical ecosystem. The physical ecosystem is this, that viruses and illness spread, that people can infect people. People can make people sick. Sometimes we say that, you make me sick. But in Europe, when a plague was running throughout the land, killing a third of the European population, the bubonic plague, apparently someone started then saying, God bless you, after someone would cough or sneeze. There are different accounts of this historically. Some of it's conjecture and speculation. But some people credit it back to Pope Gregory of saying, God bless you. So when people sneeze, for us, it's a cliche. In our day, there are atheists and skeptics that say, God bless you. It's just autopilot language that we use. But back then, when they said, God bless you, they meant, may he protect you from death. It was a serious thing. But just as there are physical ecosystems, there are spiritual ecosystems. Here's what Jesus taught about peace. In John 14, 27, remember, it's given by him. It's different than the, the world. It won't exist with fear. But he taught in John 16, that his peace will overcome the world and all that plagues you in the world. And then in John 20, verse 21, I think we might have that passage we could put up. Jesus said to them, shalom be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here's the thing. They were afraid. They were behind a closed door. The disciples were very afraid. I'm telling y'all, every time before something begins, there's fear. There's fear that he wants to replace with his peace. But they were afraid because Jesus had been killed. And the only place they could get peace was when they could be alone. Parents, there's a word we couple with peace. What do we say? When you yell at your kids or talk to your kids, let's be nice to you. When you talk to your kids, you tell them you want some peace and the disciples, there's, there's some places, parents, moms in particular, some places where I don't know if you want the peace, but you want the quiet. The disciples could only find that peace, that quiet being hidden from the world. 
because their guy had been killed. Politically, he was murdered. He was falsely accused. There was injustice. And they were scared. And Jesus comes to them and joy filled the place because he stood with them. They touched him. They saw his hand. They saw him and they heard his voice. And Jesus says this, this peace, take it with you. Here's what he's telling the disciples. Let's get real. He's telling them, hey, you're hiding out because you're afraid. But you know what you need to do? You're going to need to open the door. You need to get up. You're, you don't like that. Are you scared? You're going to need to open the door. You're going to need to go outside the door. And you, you know what? You're going to need to go into the danger zone and be a part. Let's put those words back up and be a part of a spiritual ecosystem. Instead of living this way, you make me sick. Live this way. God bless you. What about the people that make you sick? God bless them. In fact, Jesus taught pretty clearly anybody can love the people that are good to you that don't make you sick. But what about the people that make you sick? Bless them. God bless you. God bless you. So you and I are to live in a way where from our lips, the fruit of our lips and the, the, the fruit of our lives, we're blessing people. We are out and we're not hiding. Look, sometimes we huddle up. It's good for disciples of Jesus Christ to huddle up, but then we go because we are sent to give peace. I'll skip some of these for the sake of time. You ever heard about this? There's a social researcher that talks about social stampedes and three degrees of influence. Quickly, here's how it goes. If... Um, you know a guy named Ted, and Ted has a neighbor named Ned, and Ned has a coworker named Fred. If Fred is negative, Fred's negativity depresses Ned, who depresses Ted. And people, smart people, smarter than me, they've studied this stuff. They call it the social stampede or the three degrees of influence. And some of you have your arms folded like, ah, nobody affects my happiness. Just me and Jesus. Nobody, I'm not up and down, but... Experts would say differently. Fred and Ned and Ted, the neighbor, co-worker, friend, you know, they, they, they affect each other. And so I wonder in this season of this three-week sermon series on election eve eve, when the pastor's telling you how to live but not telling you, not telling you how to vote, I wonder what blessing you could bring. I wonder who you could influence. Because peace is given by him. It's different than the world. It doesn't exist with fear but it is meant to be spread you and i are called to be in a spiritual ecosystem and following jesus is not safe it's why we end with this a book called being mortal and as lauren and the team make their way up for us to sing and close i want to tell you a few months back i read this book being mortal and it's a true story of a convalescent home in upstate new york That young lady right there is from New York playing our violin. This story, being mortal, convalescent home in upstate New York, and it was a place of almost 100 residents. And it's a place of despair, a place of isolation, a place of misery, a place where there wasn't a lot of conversation or laughter or, of course, hope for the future. And a man comes on the scene they call Dr. Bill. And Dr. Bill, uh, it describes in the book, had the drive of a used car salesman and the personality of a game show host. And Dr. Bill said, let's get a team together. I've got some ideas about this home. This place is wretched. Not a good way to start a meeting probably. But he says, you know what? We need to have some green plants. We need to get green plants for every room. And they were, you know, the other team, they were looking at their budget and what they had or didn't have. Oh, we can get some green plants. Let's get some green plants. And you know what this place needs? Some dogs. We need some dogs. Two dogs for both floors, so four dogs. 
You know, some people don't like dogs, so let's get some cats. Let's, let's, even the number of cats. Let's get, let's get plants and dogs and cats. And the, the staff, the team he assembled, they were, again, he had to drive it. He had to sell it. And he said, you know, this place needs song. We need, like natural song. Like, let's bring outside, inside. Let's bring life. We've got the plants, but let's, we've got the dogs and the cats, but let's get birds. Let's get parakeets. Let's get everybody their own bird. In being mortal, the book tells the day when the delivery truck drove up. You see, the parakeets were brought in before the cages. But that didn't stop Dr. Bill. He just brought the parakeets into the convalescent home. And the staff were super nervous. But listen to this. The residents, you know what they did? Ready for this? They started laughing. And in time, a strange thing happened. Request for medicines decreased. The mortality rate comparatively went down. People they thought were non-communicative began to talk. People who were non-ambulatory began to walk. They would even go on walks outside, probably got in trouble. And here's what this doctor said. I want to I leave it with you today as you think about following Jesus, who lived in a political world, as you think about your political world. Here's what Dr. Bill said in this book. I love this. I love this. I love this. He says, I think the problem isn't that these people need to be more protected from death. I think they need to be more connected to life. Would you stand? Would you think about that for a second? Second more. This isn't a political statement on our current climate. I've said it from here a few times. Some of y'all bugging me with your conspiracy theories. Faith and science are compatible. All truth is God's truth. And while we need to be careful, while we need to follow guidelines, we also need to be transcendently aware that the goal in following Jesus is not to be protected from death, but to be connected to life. And some of y'all, and you know it, I don't don't know who you are in this, but some of you, it's just like protection, protection, safety, isolation, worry, fear, news, 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 news. What could happen? What could happen? What they're saying, the pundits and the experts. And I'm calling us today. Man, we're leaving this series behind. I won't talk about politics for a while now. But think about a life surrendered. Think about a life of study. Does that, that sounds like a bad word. Some of your students, you don't want more study. But I'm talking about empowering. I'm talking about filling your mind with God-ordained, honoring thoughts. And I just want to testify here from a fallible, imperfect person. I'm telling you, it is so free to study and to take time to push away from the pundits and the prognosticators and the political experts. And to hear his word and to bathe my mind in his truth and to make sure I understand while I want to be patriotic, I am not serving any horses or chariots or putting my faith in any man or political party. And some of you pushing me back for that, but I'm telling you, my call is to point us to the kingdom of God. 
One more time on this. I think the problem isn't that these people need to be more protected from death. I think they need to be more connected to life.